0: it is vignette oh this is just like the play in the third inning albert bell back in the third inning this time he lays it on vignette even more so welcome back to the brett boone podcast with part two of this special two-part episode with albert bell here's your host brett boone
1: I can tell just by talking to you, Albert. I mean, I, I could talk to you for days about hit because I know the type of hitter you were, and I knew you set up pitchers, and I knew you were looking for things. That's what I love about the game, the game inside the game, that cat and mouse with that catcher, that pitcher, reading body language, what's he going to throw me, eliminating pitches. And, and I think that's such a cool part. You touched on today's game and the strikeouts. It's almost like and, – and I'm not saying this is true, but, but it's almost like a strikeout with a runner on third and less than two when I was playing, that was, I could go with, I could handle going over. But if I left that runner on a third, less than two outs, then that was tough. That, that was stuff that, that kept me up at night. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see that, at, man, that strikeout with the, with, with a runner on third. It's like, oh, no, no big deal. Cause almost the games accepted it. Like it's okay. And it's not okay. That being said, there, there's so much talent. These young players, this Tatis kid is, man, is he good. You know, Acuna and Vladdy Jr. I mean, there's a lot of talent. The physicality is getting better and better. You mentioned the, the vigorous workout. Your dad, starting with your dad, always being shaped to your Cleveland years where everybody trained. Now, everybody, you know, big league, everybody, all 30 big league teams, they're all training like that. These kids are getting bigger, stronger, faster. But I think you're right. Well, You've got to bring back some of that. There's something to be said for being a good hitter and having a good approach. We don't think home run first. No great hitter I ever thought thought home run first. They thought get a good pitch to hit and knock the crap out of it. And the home runs come for those that are home run hitters.
2: Yeah. I, I, I remember um, there's a couple times I can remember like when somebody would come like hard like up and in. You know, trying to knock me off the plate, and you know it—it it pissed me off. And I was like, "Oh, okay, now it's two and and0, oh. Like, okay, and I remember swinging hard, like hard as I could, and I fouled it back. And I was like, "I said, wow, I just overdid it, and I missed out on a great pitch." And I was like, "Okay, so I got my point across, where I'm gonna show the pitcher, like, okay, I'm mad. I, I mean, I swung hard, and I, was, and and the next time." strike came boop, base hit or, you know, home run or double. And I just stayed within myself. And and I've always heard where, you know, they talked to like Tony Gwynn and, and Wade Boggs. And they said, sure. You know, we can hit, you know, a lot more homers, but we're going to be sacrificing a lot to do that. You know, base hit bad marriage and, and all that stuff. And they said, you know, we, we don't want to do that. We want to, you know, get base hits and get on base and, uh you know depending on the situation driving runs or scoring runs and um and that's you know that's just uh you know the game now is different like nobody wants to steal a base nobody hit and run i was i was watching the braves game the other night it was the bottom of the ninth uh they had a runner on second and our, his name was uh, arcia was up so 2-0 I was like, okay, let me see. He worked in count. It was against Fairbanks from Tampa Bay. It Big right? Yeah. And And I was like, okay. I said, I already know. I watched Fairbanks pitch in, in the World Series. I was like, okay, it's going to be a strike away. So he throws a slider strike away. Garcia doesn't even flinch at it, right? So then it goes to 3-1. And then uh, Fairbanks throws a fastball, 97 up and in. It was ball four. Garcia swings out of his shoes. And I was like, this guy doesn't understand the situation. It's a runner. at second. You're down by one. Your job is to get the guy over. That's it. And you might, if you do a proper job, you might be able to get a base hit out of it. So the next thing you know, or um, our, our Fairbanks, throws like a three, two slider, like down, it was a ball and he hits a ground ball to third base. And then Swanson, uh, uh, Dansby Swanson comes up next bat. He hits a weak fly ball to the left field, but that would have been a sack fly mm-hmm. had Garcia got the run over and then the game would have been tied. And I was like, there, there's there's the new baseball. And I was like, I, I I I cannot be involved. I said, if I'd have been a hit instructor, I'd have been screaming out of the dugout. Like, you, bro, you got to get this guy over. And that's probably why I don't want to be back in the game. Cause I, was like, <laughs> I, don't, I, I have, I have a short fuse. Cause I'm like, no, not and, you. And, well, it's like, it's like runners second, no outs. It's automatic. Boom. Get the guy over. Boom. Get yes. the guy over. Okay. It's a base hit. That's gravy. I mean, I've, I've hit runner second and I was like, okay. And they want to pitch me away. Boom. I, I hit doubles down the line, right field line. I was like, Okay, you know, I don't have a problem hitting the ball the other way. Boom, I hit the ball's in the right center gap, you know with a runner second no outs, but I know I guarantee ninety nine of a hundred times I got that runner over runners second no outs and 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 then Eddie would drive him in and to hear I, that I know you. for a
1: fact what's that what? no and and to hear that from a guy like you, you just you're hitting fifty two homers and you have that attitude. About playing the game right. And if Albert Bell's coming off hitting 52 homers, and he's saying, you play the game right, you move the runner, that's how everybody else goes, well, if Albert's doing it, he's hitting 50, then sure as hell, I'm going to do it. And that's going to go down the line of that team, and that's going to create a camaraderie that you can't replace. Because that nine-hole hitter's watching Albert Bell, who's watching Viagra, who's watching Tomei, who's watching Manny do it, He's sure as hell going to do it, too. And that's how you create a great team. That guy that guy hitting behind you, Albert, with a runner on second. Let's say Eddie Murray's hitting behind you. You get that runner over. You hit a one-hop rocket to the second baseman for an out. Eddie might not have driven in a run in a week. He's in a ribby slump. All of a sudden, he hits a sack fly. All of a sudden, Eddie Murray, in his brain, says, I can drive a run in. That just made Eddie Murray better. And I was yeah. – I was taught that by Edgar Martinez. He was a mentor of mine, especially the second half of my career. He taught me a lot about yeah. the hit and the preparation. And that's the first thing he said to me. One day and I've told this story before on the on the program that I watched Edgar was 8 to 2 and he hit a rocket, like one of those obvious ones where you know he was trying to get him over. He's still trying to get a hit, but he hit it, he got him yeah. over. And I said, Edgar, why'd you do that? He goes, Booney. I always found, I always find, my whole life. You play the game right, in the end, you're going to be the best player you can be. And ever since that day, I started doing it. And and that 2001 team I played on, we won 116 games, and we had everybody playing that way. And it's the way right. you play the game. And and man, it's just we we've, we've gotten away from it. And we've got to get back. This game's too great, you know. I, I think there's a lot of great things the technology they have today. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm envious about. But man, they they, they got to bring it back a little bit to playing the game the right way. It, with a runner on second, we don't rip one foul off the off the tarp down the left
2: field line in a two-two game <laughs> in the eighth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sit. I, I just say they just sit and spin because they're just. I was like. How many foul balls are they gonna hit off? i say, like, no wonder they gotta put the net up, because they're just they're just pegging fans in the stands with all these foul balls. I was like, my goodness, <laughs> do they do they even try to hit the ball up the middle or put the ball in play? And it's like they you know, they don't make adjustments, but but there's some there's some guy like I like, you know, Michael Brantley. Uh you know, I like I like That's his true. approach. You know, yeah. he's you know, very underrated hitter, and he knows how to play the game, and he knows how to execute, and he, and once again, he's having another great season um, he can you know, really, with really Astros. Yeah, he can really hit. Yeah.
1: 96, lighter moment here. You got to tell me. I've seen it for years. Never got a chance at it. Tell me the Vina play. I still crack up when I see it because Albert just floors him, and you pick up your helmet like – all right, we done here? And you walk off the well, field. Well, here, and I, here's I, I still here. laugh about it. Tell, tell me about how that set it up for me.
2: Okay, so earlier in the game, I, I walked, so I'm on first base. And Eddie Murray hits a ground ball, hits a hard ground ball to second. And there was no way I could get the second, you know, to break up the double play. And so, Vina catches the ball and he comes in the line. And I just kind of like, you know, I wasn't expecting him, so I kind of froze, and he tagged me out and, you know, ended up completing the double play. And I was like, don't do that again. I said, don't come back in his baseline again. And he's like, yeah, okay, okay, whatever. And the next at bat, I walk. Eddie Murray hits the same ground ball. And I run hard to second base and I plow right into him. And I was like, I told you not to run in the in the line. <laughs> and, and, you know, he was like, you know, he was talking smack. And I was like, Hey bro. I said, I told you, that's it. I don't need to say nothing else. i say, you don't want none of this. And so <laughs> then I come up. So then I come up and you know, I get hit and I was like, oh, okay. All right. So this is how we going to play it. So then, um, uh, you know, Tony Pena and, you know, Julian Tavares had just come in and, and I know what Tony told him. Tony was like, okay, like, don't make it obvious. If you want to hit somebody, you know, just don't make it obvious. And he was like, okay. And I watched Julian Tavares. He reared back with this funky wind up, And I was like, oh crap. And me and Kenny Lofton started running in because we knew what he was getting ready to do. And he threw one and I don't know he was, I mean, Mike Matheny was up to the plate. And, uh, I think he, he didn't even know where the ball went. He just threw it. I don't even think he, I think he threw it behind his head or over his head and Mike Matheny charged him out and we ended up getting the brawl and, you know, that was it. And and I remember, uh, Dennis Cook coming in from the bullpen and he runs and he jumps on the pile and he's, 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 uh, swinging at somebody and, and, uh, you know, so we, you know, we end up breaking up, and and um, you know, everything was restored back to normal, and that was it. Referees, and I mean, the umpires didn't have to do anything. You know, um, you know, they hit me, we retaliated, and you know, that was it. That was that was part of the game. Eye for an eye. We police ourselves on the field. You know, I wish they'd get it yeah. back
1: to that. Umpires taking taking the game. You know, we'd be a lot better off if you let us police ourselves. Because a lot of times, it's an eye eye for an eye, and it's over with, and
2: it's squashed. Yeah. So, here's the funny thing. So, I get suspended for that, right? So, the very next week, Chad Kruder, who was playing for the White Sox, he does the same thing. Runs the second baseman, comes in line, he runs over the second baseman, breaks up the double play, and they say he's a hero. And I was like, Wow. Well, okay. I said, okay, I see how this is going to work. I said, I'm the villain, and he does the same thing. He's the hero, but, I, you know, I got suspended. And um, I was like, okay, that's that, that screwed up, and, and I I should go out the league and get my fine money back for that because, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a perfectly legal play. The, the runner should not, if he wants to come in the baseline, then he's at the mercy of the base runner. The base runner has to have a right away, correct? Correct. Okay.
1: No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, well, on a on a fly ball, on the fly ball, what? you've got to let me make a defensive play on it. If I have the ball,
2: no, and run, yeah, and run toward the line. I'm running correct. in the baseline, and then coming to the right. You need to. I need. I need game. to. Right.
1: I need to give you a line to run to the to second base. I need, yeah. you, I need to give you an open lane once I have control of the ball. Yeah. Well, and the thing about it is, Cruder, nobody watches. There's there's never the highlight of the Cruder, though. And every time I see it, I think it's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Because Vinny, the look on his face, and I just love it. You're picking your helmet up, and you're going in like, I've taken my helmet, I'm going home, and don't bother with me anymore. I love it. Yeah. That's That's one of my favorite
2: highlights. All right, you're so, off to the White uh, Sox. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So that was 96. And at the beginning of the year, the Indians wanted to do a long-term deal. And I I was just like, you know, hey, I don't, I don't really want to do a long-term deal, you know, to get this done before spring training. Like, I had already done a long-term deal where I gave up my arbitration years. Let's just focus on winning. But, in the, but before that, um, at the end of the season, me, Kenny Lofty, Carlos Barga, we go into John Hart's office, and we say, John, we have 22 guys signed. We have three guys that are free agent. We talk to all three of them. They want to come back for the same amount of money. We don't, they don't, they don't want to pay raise. They want to come back. It was Eddie Murray, Kenny Hill, Paul Sorrento. And we said, bring us all back, and we'll run away, and we'll win it all. And John Hart was like, really? Like, what do you think He said, You think, you know, I'm just writing blank checks here? I got blank checks right? He was like, it's not your money. It's the owner's money. Like, bring us all back. Like, we guarantee you we'll win it. And he was like, no, you know, I just can't do that. So he let Kenny Hill, Toronto, walk. And then after Eddie Murray was just voted DH of the year, he uh, he he offered him a pay cut. He went from three million to two million, and Eddie was pissed. And Eddie wouldn't go play first base. He said, "Okay, well, if you're gonna pay me two million. I'll just DH." And we ended up picking up I think like Kevin Sights and Julio Franco, and you know they're three three great guys, and it just threw our chemistry off, and we were just we were just kind of out of whack, and. Even though, and we we won 99, I think we won 99 games and lost like 60, uh, what is that, 63 games. But we we didn't have we had a losing record against left-handed pitching, and so everybody was running these left-handed pitchers out, and we couldn't beat them. And so I go up to John Hart. And I was like, John Hart, you need to get us a left-handed BP pitcher because I said, you know all we're going to see in the playoffs is left-handed. He's like, oh, we'll worry about that later in the playoffs. So guess who we see game one? David Wells from the Orioles <laughs> <laughs> shoved, it right up our, shoved it right up our butt. And then we end up, I think we faced him again in like game five, shoved it right up our butt, and we, we went home. And, uh, but, but that was at the end of the year, but go at the beginning of the year, they want the Indians wanted to negotiate a long-term deal. And I said, okay, I will do it, but I will do it in private because I don't want it to get out because if something goes bad, I'm already going to look like the bad guy again. And if, you know, if it works out, then that's great. We're all happy. So it was me, my agent, aren't it was John Hart, I think Dan O'Dowd, and Dick Jacobs were in the meeting, and they made an offer. And I was like, okay, like, we'll, you know, we'll think about it, and, um, you know, we'll get back with you. So as we come out as we come out of the office, there's Paul Hoynes, the beat writer. And he asked us, you know, we're like, no, we, you know, nothing happened. We're just, you know. We're just leaving. We're like we didn't say anything. So the next day in the paper, it comes out Bell turns down, you know, five year, thirty five million. And we were like, okay. So there was only five of us in the room, and two of us didn't tell. So it had to be one of the other three. And it was, you know, it was either Dick Jacobs, John Hart, or Dan O'Dowd. So. It comes out in the paper and then i was like okay i'm done i say negotiations are over i said this is what i did not want to happen you guys made a promise once again you went back on your word and i said i'm just playing my season out and um I, that's what i did and um it was just it was just a different feeling i would like, you know we worked so hard to put this team together to get to the world series and to not have the opportunity like, okay, bring the same guys back and let's do it again. We just didn't have that chance and um you know, and you know, I had a I had a I mean I had a great season. I followed the, the fifty two homers with forty eight or forty nine and um but it was just you know, it was just like it seemed like it was like a bunch of individuals out there just kinda of running around for themselves and um but it was fun. I mean, we won 99 games, so you know, weren't too bad. But I mean, we could have won a lot more. So after that I did. so yeah. yeah, we lost it. You know, we lost to the Orioles in the first round, and then I went free agency and um, and, the, and it, this is and where
1: I want you to be my agent because I read your contract. Uh, you signed a five year deal. You go to the White Sox,
2: and, right? So. Uh, so, um, you know, the, um, I, I met with Jerry Reinsdorf and Shula, we met in Vegas and, you know, he says, Hey, you know, I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you and stuff. You know, I don't want to base my decisions on what I, you know, read. He says, I want to see you face to face. And we just sat and talked about the game and he was like, wow. Okay. He's like, he's like, you're pretty cool. Like, you know, you know, I'm not going to believe what I always read. And, and uh, he's like, you know, I would love for you to be a White Sox he said, if you wanted to. And, you know, and, and it's like, I'll reach out to Arn, And uh, they worked out a deal. And, um, and I was like, Arn, I was like, I really want to go back to Cleveland. I said, see if they'll match the offer. And so Arn calls John Hart. He says, John Hart, we have an offer on the table. It's five year, 55. Will you match it? And and John John Hart was like fuck you Arne. He said you don't have this. He said you're you're full of crap. And and then Arne was like no fuck you. He says we're going to the White Sox tomorrow. And and John Hart was so mad. And um, so we uh, you know we took a we took a plane to Chicago, signed with the White Sox. And then when I get back, John Hart you know, has his press conference, and he's like, yeah, see, I told you it was it was for the money. You know, Alba was just in this for the money, and I was like, well, just like everybody else, right? We got a, a short window, baby. <laughs> yeah, and because, you know, they, uh, you know, they wanted me to take a lot of deferred money, and I was like, no, I was like, this is my free agency. I said, I want some money up front. And, uh, you know, signed the, the, the five-year 55, and it took some money up front, but I had what was called the David Robinson clause.
1: It's unbelievable. It's the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. That's why I wanted you to be my agent. All right, go ahead. Explain. Yeah. That.
2: Yeah. So, so Arne, Arne, um, you know, because Arn's a basketball guy, you know, he had, um, you know, he had seen this clause and at the, at the end of, uh, at the end of year two, If there's three guys making more money than me, you take their salary, you average it out. And that's where my salary was supposed to go up to. So at the time, because I took deferred money, I was making 10 million. And I think like Pedro Sheffield, and I think it might've been Maddox, Maddox or Gladman, they got a, they got a big pay raise and their salary came out to like 11.5 million. And I was supposed to get a pay raise, and I I told Ryndorf, I said, I don't want a pay raise. I said, take this money and re-sign Robin Ventura. I said, I I love Robin. He's been a you know came up to the organization. He's a great guy, great guy to you know to protect me in the lineup. And you know I wanted you know we had some nice young kids. I said, you know let let's let's try to win it next year. And he was just like. He's like, wow. He's like, you know, he's asking for a lot of money. Like, I think, I think Robin ended up getting like three year, 27 with the Mets. And I think Ryan only offered him like three year 21. And, and so, um, you know, back then that was, a, you know, that was a, it was a big difference. And so Robin ended up leaving to go, but I had a 30 day window to negotiate and so Arn ended up working out a deal with the Orioles. He said, you, you want to go play in Baltimore? I was like, sure. And he, and he said, you know, here's the deal. I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah. I said, okay, so I'll, I'll, um, I'll go to Baltimore. And, and, uh, um, and the, the thing that I miscalculated on, because we had this young kid, Maglio Ordonius, And I didn't know that if I would have known, like, because he, he ended up hitting well, – after I left, he ended up eating cleanup. He would have hit fifth behind me in the lineup. And this kid turned out to be a pretty good pretty good stick. But I thought he was about two years away. And then I didn't want to waste another year like, getting pitched around and, um, you know, and wait another year for all these young kids to develop. But, um, you know, a couple of those kids developed the next year. And, and Maglio had a pretty nice career. He signed – I think he signed a big contract and got $100 million.
1: I think he could hit. He could really yeah. hit. Yeah. So he ended up going to the Orioles. He signed another five-year, 65. And this, for me, is where – because there's not that much made of it. I mean, we know that you had the, the hip degeneration. I, I don't want to say it wrong. I think it's hip degeneration – but all of a sudden, in, in 99, you end up having to retire after 2,000 season. And I was looking at your number. You still drove in 103 runs, 2,000. But I don't think anyone really in the game, it just kind of Albert disappeared. And it's like, right. you know, and how great of a hitter you were and what a, what a You know, you were like, like I said, you were right in that niche, top three of those run producers in all the game. And all of a sudden you kind of quietly went away. And I think a lot of people to this day wonder how bad was it? How long was it bothering you? And obviously uh, to make you retire, uh, it had to be, you know, a lot worse than people knew. It it was during,
2: it was during the 2000 season. uh, I started having some pain And it was, like, right before the All-Star break. Because I remember uh, I I was facing, I think I was facing um, Greg Maddox, and he threw me a fastball, and I could have swore I hit it out, and I think it barely got to the warning track. And I was like, yeah, something's wrong. I was like, because I didn't have any power. And so during the uh, All-Star break, I went to go get it checked out, and that was bursitis in the, in the hip joint, which is basically, you know, arthritis and inflammation. And so I rested and, you know, everything felt good. And then I came back and started playing and then just wearing the tear, it just got worse. And then I ended up going on the disabled list. And as you know, at the time I was 15 days. So I was like rehabbing and, 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 you know, as much as I could and rest and, and and then when I was ready to come back, um, I had to get approval from the from one of the team doctors. And um so by the time that happened, and I think I ended up coming back like the last week of the season and I had like ninety seven RBIs and and uh ended up getting like six RBIs in six games and, and I knew that was pretty my I knew that was my last game. Um I rehabbed that all season. And then when I came back, we were gonna play like these inner squad games. And I and I talked to the owner, and I was like, you know, can I slowly like rehab? Because I'm not in I'm not in baseball shape. I need to get in baseball shape. And he was like, no, I'm paying you to play the outfield. And I was like, well, if I play in the outfield now, I'm probably not gonna make it. He's like, I'm paying you to play the outfield. I said, like, okay. So I go out in the outfield. About two games, you know, we had like these six in and in a squad games and my leg went from bad to worst and I think I end up in a treatment for like a week or so and then I was like this didn't get any better I had to go see a specialist and and uh, you know I lost a lot of the um, the um, the um, ligaments that's inside the joint and it was pretty much bone on bone and you know i was in a lot of pain and and that was pretty much it and and then i moved out to arizona march of 20 uh 2001 and been here ever since
1: when deep your last day be through your career yeah uh, and the perception is and you can clarify if you want you didn't like the media and i see that you know i, I doing my homework i i saw that you you referenced steve carlton when i was a little kid dad you know, Dad caught Steve Carlton for all the 70s in his Philly days. And I remember, Steve, he didn't talk to the media at all. And you referenced Koufax, DiMaggio. They didn't talk to the well, media. Yeah,
2: because I know, I know with Carlton, they burned him a couple times. And was, yeah, like, he oh, okay, yeah, he wouldn't speak.
1: Yeah, he wouldn't speak at all, like not hello. It was just known that you don't even talk to him. And, you know, through my career, you know, I've been – media was kind of easy for me. I didn't mind it. But I also I, I still have some good buddies to this day. I played with uh, Richie Sex and Adrian Beltre. Still good yeah. buddies to this day. They they it just wasn't for them. It's not for everybody. And well, but
2: Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, so um and you know when I was when I signed with the White Sox that I was talking to Mr. Reinsdorf, and you know, he was kind of trying to fill me out about the media. And I said, listen, I says, I don't have a problem with the media. I'm just not going to talk like every day. Um, but, you know, can we kind of like pick and choose, you know, cause you know, we knew Scott Wrightford, he was the, um, uh, the PR guy. And, you know, we just, we, we did a, a lot, well, to me, there, there are a lot of pieces, but there probably were a few pieces, uh, 97, 98. And I, I think things work well and, you know, that really didn't get publicized, but I, I did give out a lot of interviews and, you know, everybody wants to know, like, what's your secret? And I was like, Yeah, swing at the strikes and take the balls. I was like, hey, pretty simple, you know, and, you know, if the guy made a mistake, I was going to make him pay for it. Um, you know, but, um. You know, that was pretty much it. And, you know, Baltimore, Baltimore is, you know, different. Um, you know, I did a, a, probably a lot less interviews in Baltimore than I did in Cleveland. So, um, and then that was it. But, yeah, you, know, know. I, you know, I, I just, it, in preparing before the game, I did not want to alter my schedule. and And, you know, if somebody wanted to, talk about the game. I didn't want to do it before the game. And, you know, I, I remember there's a couple, I, I'm trying to remain, I think it might've been male Anton when he was at the USA today. Like we talked about like all this positive stuff I did. And then like, he didn't even put it in the article and it was just like a hatchet job. And I was just like, okay, well, never going to talk to you again. And, you know, and don't need to talk to the USA today because you know, everybody back then they would ask me about like all this positive stuff I would do. I mean, nobody mentioned about the, the, uh, and I still have the scholarship program through my church in Louisiana. I give out scholarships, uh, you know, to the, to the black youth that graduate high school and go off to college. Um, I started that in 1990. And since then, there's only been one, one kid that hasn't graduated. So, um, I lost count of how many kids are graduated, but, um, you know, I gave out scholarships this this past, I give them out every May kid, you know, black kids that want to go to college. say, Okay, let's do it.
1: And that's still going from 90
2: to present. Yep. That's pretty cool. And, you know, and, and education, you know, and, and I believe, you know, in, in education is power. And that's what my, my parents taught me, uh, and I remember my parents were like, okay, you know, we're going to the library. You're going to, you know, we're going to read. And then you're going to check out some books and come home and, and you, you had like a little, you had like a little reading chart. And then like, you know, you read books and then the library would give you like a little star for each one. And, and then I think if you read so many in a certain time, you get a prize and, you know, I had all kind of fun little things at the library and, um, you know, that was back then. It was just books at the library, but there's a lot of stuff now. But um, I, I, we spent a lot of time at the library.
1: Yeah, and I, I can tell just by you know, we're just kind of for the people that know know out there. Albert and myself played against each other for quite a few years, but this is the first time we're really talking, and it's really interesting talking to you because you, you were very calculated, you were very regimented, you knew what you wanted to do, you knew how you wanted to do it. And, and you had a goal, and that was to get, get good pitches to hit and rip them. And you weren't going to allow no. anything to get in the way of that goal. And, I mean, it's I, I can't argue with it. It's a smart way to go about it. And and listening to you talk, it, it's very interesting to see, you know, kind of behind the scenes of what, what really you were thinking and letting people uh, get to know you a little bit. Give me the Joey Bell, Albert Bell. I don't I don't know. What's the story behind that?
2: That was that was my nickname when I was growing up, you know, in in Louisiana, and and then you know, and I went to treatment in nineteen ninety. You know, they suggested it was like, well, why you never use your your real name? And I just like my parents' nickname me Joey, so that's what I go with. And they were like, you know, well, you know, if you go by already, just signifies a change in your life. I said, this is a big change, you know, going from. Um, you know, not drinking, you know, from drinking to not drinking. And, you know, this is going to affect your whole future. And, you know, do you want to play baseball again? And, you know, you're going to have to, you know, give up drinking and, and, and change your way of life. And, and I did. And, um and that was the great thing about being in Cleveland because uh the AA and the sobriety program started in Akron, Ohio. And, you know, I had to get a, you know, they found me a sponsor and I would go to these meetings and there were some guys who were with the the the, uh, the two gentlemen who founded AA and Akron. And so they would be at these meetings and they're like, they knew who I was. They'd be like, shut up, don't drink, go to meetings, do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And, that, and that was it. I mean, they were, they were hardcore and they were on me and I, I did 90 meetings in 90 days. And my, you know, sponsor, you know, he was calling, talking, and and um, you know, sobriety was work, and you know, the toughest part when, you know, there's a lot of people you hurt along the way, and you have to like find them and you have to make amends to them, you know, for for all the crap you put them through, and uh, so that that was tough, you know, the twelve steps. I mean, it, it took a long time to do it, and. And then once you went through it, you had to do it again. And, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, growing up in the church, you know, my mom and dad, they were like, you know, you know, son, are you reading your Bible every day? You know, and, you know, I was like, yep. And, you know, that was part of the the AA program and the the Christian program. And so it was was work. I mean, I, you know, I'm glad I did it. And I was able to, you know, save my career and, 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 you know, play, you know, professional baseball, a dream. Um, you know, people call me joy. They think, uh, you know, they're like getting under my skin and I'm like, I, you know, I still have people at the church and friends in Shreveport. They still call me that. And, um, uh, but you know, they've known me since I was, you know, since I was a kid and, uh, you know, it doesn't bother me, but, uh I was just yeah. glad I, you know, if I had to go back, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. And, and, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I just knew, obviously I would have loved to have played longer, you know, you know, my, I thought I could play till I was 40, but, um, you know, everybody's body's different. Um, you know, just some people have more games in their bodies than than the next guy. And, and but, you know, I have no regrets. Little rapid fire. I'll give you five guys. Just
1: give me a sentence or two what comes to mind. Randy Johnson.
2: The big unit, I I you know what? I love facing the big unit. And you know, he was intimidating out there in the mile. Like, you know, you really you really didn't sit comfortable in the box because, you know, he was kinda wild, but I I did like the fact when you know he went to Nolan Ryan and actually you know became a great pitcher and you know and that's part of it that's part of the game what well, these old timers you know they can help the, you know they help the people uh you know nowadays with all this information and and uh you know I certainly liked facing uh big unit after he uh you know worked with Randy Johnson because he was all over the place before that Roger Clemens Roger Clemens, I just found out last year I had the most career. I had 92 career at-bats off of him. That was the most out of any pitcher I faced. And, you know, he was from Texas. And I'm from Louisiana, and I was like, you know, to me it was always this Louisiana-Texas battle. And I said, he's going to go out there, and he's going to give it his all. And, I mean, like, he would come hard up and in. The I was like, okay, let's get it on. But you know, I I I think I hit a couple homers off of him when I was with Baltimore in Yankee Stadium. You know, he you know he he threw him on the outside corner, and I hit him up there in the in the right field deck. So um, he's a gamer. Got to give it to him. The guy got it. Went out there for a long time. Mariano Rivera. i faced mariano rivera i think it was 91 or 92 when he came up as a starter and it didn't work very well so he ended up getting switched to the bullpen and then i think wetland was the closer and then wetland left and i think rivera took over after that but i didn't have a problem facing rivera i saw the ball real well from rivera it, and it's funny because right-handers had more success off of them probably than left-handers because he killed lefties. I mean, like, I remember later on, and this might have been 98, and I think all the switch hitters started hitting right-handed off of him because they got tired of him busting their bats left-handed. But I, I, I remember facing him. It was late in the year, and it was 98, and he had that low ERA. And uh, – and when I when I saw his ball, I was like, "Wow, this thing's like really moving." And, but he would throw it at me, and then it would just come right over the plate, and I, I I would have success. I got a few base hits off of him, but uh, he was kind of like the quiet assassin. He just he'd mow you down, bush the bat. You didn't see him doing like rah rah and pointing the finger and you know pointing to the sky and all that. He just quietly mowed you down, Pedro. I ended up my last at bat, I got a base hit off of Pedro, and I finished up one for 19. Um, There was a couple, I think there was one time in Chicago, I hit a home run, Troy O'Leary went over the fence and robbed me. But I remember I got a hit, my last at bat off Pedro, I got a base hit, and he just kind of looked at me and I was like, Oh, I'm just getting started. I'm one for 19. Like I, I got a long ways to go to get to 300, but I'm gonna get there. <laughs> but I, I, I never faced him. I never faced him after that. But uh, there was a lot of, you know, these these pitchers, these guys, these guys were gamers. Like you know, you knew like okay, you know, you could see it on the on the you know on the chart. You're gonna face these guys, and I was like, okay, bring it on. Let's see what they got. I was not a, afraid. To face anybody, I mean, there's a long list, like Nolan Ryan, like Brett Saberhagen, like um, Goose Gossage was up in a while. But, uh, you know, you'd have, I would have loved to have faced Goose like, when he was his prime, and he was just rear back, firing it in there. And You know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of pitchers. Uh, you know, Mark Langston, Chuck Finley, those guys. Um, yeah. uh, I remember uh, Jeff Becerro. Split figure. Seattle. Yeah. He had a nice little run. Uh, there's a story behind that. It, went, I, it was one time we were, it was with the White Sox. It must've been 97. And he pitched a pretty good game. And he got me out a couple of times. And um, my brother just happened to be watching the game. And he came up to me during the game. He's like, did you see that? I'm like, no, what happened? He said, Oh, he's like after he after he got you out, he was like high five with everybody. I said, Oh, really? Oh, okay. So the next time we I see him next year in Chicago and it's like double double homer. And I was like, Is he high five?" I told my brother, I said, Is he high fiving now? I said, I'll put it into that shit. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 you know, it's stories like that. You know, you know, some of those guys got me. I got them it was it was always a great battle and uh you know these guys were gamers uh, you you know you just you can go down the list there was you know teams you know players and it was it was just fun to play against everybody and um you know the interleague league started in ninety seven you know so got a chance to go to some of those parks uh never got out to the never got a chance to play the national league west. But I did play the National League Central and the um, National League East. You know, that was with the Orioles. That was the East, and then the White Sox. That was the Central. So, um, but but played in all the old parks, old Detroit Stadium. Um, we used to always say when you go to Detroit, don't go straight away Center Field. You know, either hook or slice it, and. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember I think it was like ninety two or ninety three, Sam Horn hit a bomb in the upper deck center field. And uh when he came he's like he said, like, You just keep hooking and slice and he said, I'm going with a big dog's run straight away center <laughs> <laughs> and, I like, and I was like and I say I say I give you bad props for that. That was a bomb. He hit a bomb straight away center upper tank. Oh, you uh, go to the center there, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Good old Detroit stadium you ever uh did you ever you ever play in Detroit the old I stadium did.
1: I did and it seemed like you could go sometimes you could it, it was shorter to go in the upper deck
2: yeah yeah, yeah. either hook it or, hook it or slice it and, and I remember you be in the dugout and you look out and you'd see like half of the outfielders because the outfield dropped off behind the infield and and the and the grass was so thick because you know you know, Trammell and Whitaker were older, and they had to, you know, they couldn't they, – they lost a lot of their range, so they had to make the grass stick. So, yeah, he had to do a lot of line drive hitting in Detroit to be successful because if you hit it on the ground, it was going to almost stop by the time it gets to an infielder.
1: It's funny. You, you know, you mentioned Sam Horn, my grandfather. He played for 13 years, then he scouted for the rest of his career as a scout for the Boston Red Sox. He signed Sam Horn. And oh, all throughout my childhood, he'd be talking about Sam Horn, Sam Horn, this, that, Sam Horn, that, and uh, I, so you brought up Sam Horn, it made me laugh. It brought me back to my childhood a little bit. Grandpa yeah, talk man. about how great this Sam Horn was going to be. Albert Bell, what do you want to be remembered for?
2: I want to be re- remembered for being a gamer who I played every game. Like it was my last game. Obviously I enjoyed playing the game. Obviously. I mean, I, you couldn't tell because I didn't have a smile on my face, but to be able to dream about playing in the big leagues and actually go out and play in the big leagues, it was, it's, it's hard to describe. It's, it's a dream come true. Um, and, You know, I I like the fact that because of the game of baseball that's been good to me, I was able to take care of my family. And now I can sit back and I can enjoy my family. I can watch uh, my girls grow up. Um, I think maybe one day I'd like to get back into the game, but probably not. But uh, to be remembered – I, I didn't give away any at bats, and and that's the thing about. Um, I wanted all my my teammates to know. I was like, I was going to show up and play hard every day, and I wasn't going to give away at bats. And I took pride in playing a great outfield, and I even considered myself a pretty good base runner. So, I, you know, and the thing about the thing about the game of baseball, like when you go up against a guy like Ken Griffey Jr., like how like, everything looks so easy for him, but I know, you know, behind the scenes, like, like he was working hard, too. Like, you know, it he was. just didn't just, you know, roll out of bed and, and just do everything. Like, you know, these guys, you know, these great guys, like Craig Biggio played against him. Um, he was in my draft. a, a lot. You know, I go back and look at, you know, where those guys are. And, and most of those guys in my draft in 87, they made it to the big leagues. And – Griffey and Bidjoe in the hall of fame. And I'd like to say I slotted in, in number three. And even though I got drafted like number 85, 86 or 87, somewhere around there. So I, I, I took the, I took the most of an opportunity and I'm thankful to be able to meet some great people along the way, influence a lot of people's lives, Uh, In a positive way. they never reported, um, you know, because I lived in Cleveland, I lived in Chicago, I lived in Baltimore. I was able to get out in the community and just interact with people without, you know, the cameras around and without, you know, thinking that, you know, I'm only doing this for publicity or for the team, but to do it on my own. And, you know, I, I'm very proud of that and, and happy and thankful and, um, you know, so my, my my kids get a chance to uh, enjoy the benefits and, um, you know, so they know as soon as they get back from Michigan, it's time to start grinding. <laughs> so they're going to be mad at me <laughs> in a couple weeks because they know it's time to start grinding because, um, you know, soccer season's starting out. But uh, I, I enjoyed every minute. I got a chance to see a bunch of family around the country and all these different cities. Like I hadn't seen probably since uh, whenever we had a family reunion, like when I was a kid. And then you go to these cities and, and, you know, your, your mom and dad and brother travel and we, we see family. We haven't seen in years. And they go to the games and, uh, you know, I had family, a lot of family in Seattle, you know, on my dad's side. Um, so they would, they would come to the games all the time and, you know, family, Chicago and, 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 you know, in Compton, California. So, uh, Texas, Houston. So I had, you know, New York, so I had family everywhere around the country. And so, so baseball is, is a great sport. I just, I just hope they get it back to, to where it used to be. Cause it was fun to watch. It was fun to play. And, uh, and it was always great to, to be able to see the old timers you know, um, you know, you see Rod Carew, uh, you know, you see like Pee Reese, you know, you see all these guys, you know, Jim Rice, when we go to Boston, you know, you see all these guys that like played the game, they made sacrifices for us to have a better lifestyle and, and to have a better career. And, you know, and I would see those guys and I, you know, I say, Hey, thanks. You know, thanks for what you did. Um, you know, it was. You know, they made some sacrifices, and and I don't think the you know the players nowadays like, you know, know who these guys are that made sacrifices for them. I mean, you know, to make thirty forty million dollars, and you know, and a lot of these guys, you know, there there's going to be a ton of guys are going to strike out like two hundred times this year. That's insane. <laughs> but uh, you know, they. These guys, these, these players nowadays, they need to, to get in touch with these you know, now we're old school. we used to be you know new school, and you know some of these old, old school guys, you know, you know, um, you know, when your dad played, you know your third, I think you're third generation, uh, yeah. you know, some of these guys who, you know, they got great stories, you know, sit down and talk, and I, I remember going to Kansas City. And you know you got a chance to talk to Buck O'Neill about the Negro Leagues and you know the stuff he went through and 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 you know you see some of these old-time players. It was I mean it was great. I you know I wish you know I had a you know you'd had to walk around with like a pocket camera back then, but to take pictures, you know I you know I didn't take a lot of pictures with all these guys. I wish I would have because you know I'd be able to you know hang them up and show them to my kids and tell them the stories
1: well, you still got the stories albert bell uh it was an honor it was cool and and you could probably tell you were one of my favorites you you inspired me a lot as a kid coming up to big i want to hit like albert bell and i had a couple of years where i put up albert bell numbers but but not nine or ten but uh i think it's really cool you coming on the program you, you give it People out there listening to the Boone podcast, a, a different side, kind of behind the curtain, and I think it was people find out how smart, how calculated you were, and and you just wanted to, you just wanted to hit, you just wanted to hurt pitchers, and I love that. I think all hitters yeah. do. but you did it at a high level for a long time, and I appreciate you doing it. And what we
2: do here, I, I each have, and every, go ahead. What's that? No, go ahead. What's that? Well, I have one more story, and. Uh, All right. And it was funny. It was funny because in, you know, I moved out to Arizona full time in March of 2001 and I I knew my career was over. And, you know, so probably I don't even know some at some point that month, my mom called me and she was like, are you going back to school? And I said, yes. But I said, let me just take some time off and I'll go back to school in 2002 because I left after my junior year. And the only reason why I could leave is I promised my mom and dad, I was going to go back and finish school. And so in Mar- in 2001, I think from March to the end of the year, I played like 240 rounds of golf. I was so mad at baseball. I didn't watch baseball until game seven of the World Series between the Yankees and the Diamondbacks. I finally turned the TV on and watched baseball. And, and then in the, in the spring of 2002, I enrolled at Arizona State, and I took one class, and my, my mom was like, well, you know you need four classes to graduate. And I said, yes, Mom. I said, I'm going to take one class per semester. I said, there's no reason for me to overdo it. <laughs> so, so you got, you so got took, your degree. Yeah. So I, I took four classes and I got my degree in accounting. And, um, you know, so uh, my, my mom, my dad and my brother, they all have their master's degree and I have my undergrad degree. And I told them I, I wasn't going to grad school i said this is it i got my degree I've completed my promise and now i'm gonna settle down and get married and have kids and they were like okay
1: i want to meet your mom and dad they sound like some pretty grounded cool people actually with the stories you're telling about them yeah all right well what we do each and every boon podcast at the end is we let Dan levy, the voice of the Boone podcast come in for a question from the fans
0: Dano gentlemen, how are ya? Good how are you? Not doing good all right, Mr. Bell. this one comes from Jumbo in Akron, and he wants to know this what is your best memory from your career?
2: Wow, God there was a lot of there was a lot of uh there was a lot of great memories, but probably in ninety five when we clinched the you know, we clinched the division and we made the playoffs and we end up we ended up playing in the World Series and that was such a a great moment for the Cleveland fans because, you know, some of these some of these people hadn't you know, they hadn't been at I think Cleveland last time in the World Series was like forty eight. And I remember um uh, the sellout crowds. And I remember the, the mom and dads. So they were bring their kids to the game. And I mean, they were screaming and cheering and we gave them excitement. And that was kind of like the start of a wonderful thing that happened in Cleveland. You know, they had the, the sellout records, uh, a couple more world series appearances, but to be able to, to be drafted by the Indians and, to be able to take that team to the world series and what was a, uh, was something I always remember um, being drafted by the Indians and uh, you know, getting a chance to, you know, for some of these, for some of these, those people, they're like, they hadn't, they were around in like 48. So they, you know, they were, you know, that, you know, they were old and, They were just happy to be back in the world series and and see us playing to see us win. And I mean, we brought a lot of smiles and a lot of great memories uh, to a lot of people. And, and I just remember you could, you, you could walk outside Cleveland and probably every other person had on some form of Cleveland gear at that time in the nineties. That's how, that's how popular we got. Like every other person was walking around in Indian's gear.
0: That's awesome, and last yeah. but not least, because I'm a Chicago guy, you're Chicago. Were you into the deep dish pizza or the thin crust pizza?
2: <laughs> well, now that my career is over, actually, I just had Lou Bonatti's pizza the other day. Nice, right down the street. I, I love Lou Bonatti's pizza. That's some good pizza. And then for the thin crust, uh, there's a place called Grimaldi's here that has good thin crust pizza. So uh, those are probably the, the two best pizza places, Lou Malnati's and, and Grimaldi's. So yeah, I can eat I could eat some deep dish
0: pizza too. <laughs> well, Albert Bell, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it.
2: Alright, thanks for having me. Anytime, man. It's It's fun. It's, you know, some great memories, some great times, and uh, uh, you know, to be able to share these experiences with you know fans, you know, probably hadn't you know heard
0: from me in twenty twenty five years. So, well, it was all it was all a pleasure on this side. So, thank you so much. We do appreciate it. All right, take it easy. Mailbag. All right, Booner, you know that sound by now, don't you? I do. It's mailbag time. Mailbag time. Yes. All right, this one comes from Todd in Simi Valley, and he wants to know, Brett, have you ever played golf in Europe? That would be a negative. Never been to Europe. Never even been
1: to Europe? No. One day. One day I'll make it over there, but nope, haven't been there.
0: All right. Back in the mailbag we go. All right, Brett, have you ever done a national TV commercial? This one comes from Frank in New York City.
1: Um, you know, I know I've done a bunch of local commercials and and as a kid, I don't think it was national because I think Tasty Cakes, you know, where Tasty Cakes.
0: I are? love Tasty Cakes. They're all of the, the good coast. things
1: wrapped up in one, Dan. And as a kid, when uh, dad was playing in Philly, I did a Tasty Cake commercial, but I think it was still local. So, no, I haven't I haven't broke through to the national uh, stage with geico or anything like that
0: dang all right well we'll have to work on that one we gotta get booner on a national spot i'm telling you that right now all right that's gonna do it for the podcast my name is dan levy and i am the technical director and producer of the boom podcast executive producer of the boom podcast is rich herrera digital content is all handled by Liz Landry so please share the Boom Podcast with neighbors and friends and make sure you subscribe to the Moon Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show while you're at it please give it a 5 star rating and share your feelings about the Moon Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show for all of us here on the Moon Podcast I'm Dan Levy thanks for listening we'll do it again soon see ya